Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. This morning's scripture reader reading comes from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 8. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. You may be seated. God is good. All the time. When you read anything that Paul wrote, there's usually a three-part structure to it that you can put very simply. The first is his greeting. Paul says something along the lines of grace and mercy and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first part of his letter. Second part, personal reflections or, or uh, sentiments. He'll say something along the lines of, I thank my God for you, for your faith, and I remember you in prayer often. And then the last part of Paul's letter, which pretty much takes up the rest of it, is Paul saying, now would you please act right? You ever notice that? Nearly every book of the Bible... Nearly everyone exposes the humanity of God's people. And sometimes uh, Christians or folks who go to church, they get burned by God's people and they back off, they walk away. And the reality is, um, I, I get it, I, truly I do. But we have to keep in mind that the same people that give us heartache are also the same people Jesus died for. The same people who we think they should know better, they should do better, are also the same people that Jesus died for. Look in your Bibles at a passage with me. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. It's right before 2 John if you need a point of reference as to where to find it. 1 John chapter 2, and I want to read verses 12 and 13 and have you look along with me. John makes an observation about the different stages of life in Christ, if you will. First uh, John 2.12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And he goes on from there, and he addresses the children, the fathers, the young men, and so forth. Now, think about this. When a person first becomes a Christian... We read throughout the New Testament, they're referred to as a babe in Christ. They're brand new, almost as a new baby born. So I want you to think of it in those terms. Now, when we think about babies, there are a few things that come to mind. First of all, uh, they're very needy, right? They need you to carry them, to change them, to bathe them, to feed them, to comfort them. All these things, that's what a baby needs. Very needy, very demanding. Sometimes they're messy. Now, I'm my mother's only child. I do have a half-brother, 
and a couple stepbrothers. But suffice it to say, for the most part, I was brought up an only child. So when Brianna was a little baby, and I had to learn this the hard way, do you know that young'uns, when they get out toys, they will get out a whole bunch. They'll dump the whole thing out. And they'll only play with one of them. So I would go and pick up all the leftovers, the, the stuff not being played with, only to discover that what she was playing with, she saw me pick up something else. She's like, oh, no, that's what I want. And she left the other. So I'd pick it up. And, it, and this was like, a, it kept going. And, it, you know, because you're supposed to keep a nice, tidy house is how I was brought up. And Stephanie was like, honey, y'all are probably thinking he just is clueless. But they are. Babies are messy. They're needy. They're messy. And sometimes they can be loud. But we... We go along with it because they're babes, right? We, we, we don't judge them harshly. We don't, you know, we don't think ill of them because they're babies. They're babies. And so, okay, we can expect a certain level of something from them. Then you go forward to the other stage that Paul, uh, John identifies, the, the young men. Of course, you could substitute this for just young people, but he's addressing uh, the men in general. Uh, or in specific, but in general, you can thank the young people. Now, they are, well, they're very energetic. They're passionate. And it, it, it often happens that they're very active. And you know, there's a point in our lives where before we are the age of 25, there's a part of our brain that isn't yet developed. And so before the age of 25, we are very highly emotional beings in comparison to most. And then some people remain highly emotional and they don't get logic down as, as great as others do. But even still with the young ones, the, the, the teenagers, the young adults, we, we understand that stage because most of us have been through it. Well, obviously if we're past it, we've been through it. Uh, and then you get to the fathers. And so you have these different stages of being a Christian. Speaks to your maturity. And guess what? When a babe in Christ acts immature, we only see the adult that is the human. And that's what really gets us bothered. And, and, you know, well, they said this, they offended me, they did this. And people say, well, I've been hurt by the church. And you know what? We're all human. Um, and because we're all human, we're all imperfect. Now, the one thing that I want from God, among anything else, I want His grace because you and I both know, and God knows, I need it. It is the only thing that will save me. God's grace. His willingness to be merciful to me, to make the offering of His Son for us all. Undeserved. Very undeserved. But I want that from Him. I want His patience. I want His forbearance. Because the flesh often surpasses what the Spirit wants. As Jesus once said, the Spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now, if I want that from God, doesn't it make me a bit of a hypocrite if I don't give it to others? I want you to think about that. Well, in all of the various stages of Christianity, there are a couple specifically here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that Paul points out. And when you read... I don't like to call them qualifications. 
right? Qualifications is what you have when you're trying to get a job. I think this speaks of the character of the person who's going to occupy or serve in these roles. But I want to remind you, as always, the whole purpose of 1 Timothy is so that Timothy has a basic baseline of instructions as to how the church ought to be ordered. And Paul wants him to keep these things in mind because he's hoping to come to them. But if he's delayed, he says, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So when we think of the church, we don't think much of a house, but there's the depiction here of the house. And you have various members in the the households in that time. First of all, you had the head of a family who was the father. Uh, the, 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 the Romans called him the Potter Familius. Uh, he was the one, and of course, in the opening, you have God the Father who's addressed. The Father is the head of the household, just as God is the head of his church. You have overseers, or an overseer of the house, in this case, overseers plural. Those being, and that's what a bishop is. Bishop's a very churchy word. You know, anytime I think of a bishop, I think of that, that little thing on chess, the, the position of the bishop. Move the bishop, move the knight, and whatever the case is. Um, but a bishop is an overseer. An overseer is an elder. An elder is a pastor. Uh, let me flesh this out for you. First of all, let me read these, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and, and follow along with me, would you please? This is a faithful saying, if any man desires, I'm going to alter the translation, not the translation, but if a man desires the work of a bishop, well, the word position or office, if your Bible has that, it's not in the original text. Uh, so this is a faithful saying, if a man desires to oversee, he desires a good work. An overseer then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house... How will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now you read that and you go, well, every Christian should be that. And I say, yeah, every Christian should be. But guess what? Not every Christian is. Because some of us are at that babe stage of faith, some of us are at that young stage of faith, some of us are at the parental stage of faith. And the sad thing is, there are some who are still drinking the bottle of Christianity, and they've been doing so for a couple of decades. They will be in the stroller of Christianity until they're rolled into the nursing home of Christianity. And it's quite sad when a Christian doesn't progress and doesn't grow in their faith. And the Hebrew writer actually had something to say of that, if you'd like to look with me. Hebrews chapter 5, at the end of it, beginning verse 12. If you're in 1 Timothy, just take a right, and Hebrews is not that far afterwards.
Hebrews 5, verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So there he was writing to them that they should be past the point where they are now. Now, if a letter was written to this church along that same vein, what would be written? Or let's make it a little more personal. What if the letter was written to you and not necessarily to the whole church? Obviously, you had a whole group of people, Hebrews, who should have been teachers, but they still needed to learn the basic principles. Why? Because they hadn't grown in their faith. They were in the same place of their faith as when they became babes in Christ. They're still there. And it's not doing anybody any favors for us to not grow or advance in the faith. As a matter of fact, we're expected to grow. Think about this. Now, when our children are babies, you know, it's a precious time and we really want time to slow down a little bit. It seems to go too fast. But before too long, we have tried to teach them to walk and talk. And then we spend the majority of their childhood trying to teach them to sit down and be quiet. Funny how that works out, isn't it? Well, we don't want to be changing diapers for 20 or 30 years, do we? And we don't want to have to pick up and carry around a 150-pound person because they haven't learned to, to grow up and to do what you do as you naturally progress. Now, in our humanity, we naturally progress. You don't stay a baby. You become a toddler, then an infant, then a child, then a teenager, and then a young adult, and so forth and so on. It can't be helped, but Christianity is different. We have to put in the effort in order to grow in our faith. But even within the church, within the household of God, there are overseers. This would have been akin to an overseer of a household who is a person that runs all the affairs of the house, aside from the head of the household. You remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar. And Potiphar was an Egyptian nobleman. But Joseph was over all the house. But he wasn't over Mrs. Potiphar. He just tended to all the things of the house. That's what the overseer does. Make sure that everything is done as God wills for it to be done. And then back in 1 Timothy 3, verse 8, within the household, you have uh, the servants or the deacon. That's what deacon means. It means to serve. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. And let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. I want you to look at chapter 4, verse 6, too, while we're here in Timothy. 
Now, Paul, addressing Timothy, he says, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have followed carefully. The word minister is the same word as deacon. If you're reading this in Greek, Timothy has just been called by Paul what he calls those in chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 8. So overseers, deacons, uh, in the household of God, these are who are placed there for their specific roles. And in the New Testament, and I'm going to need you to bear with me, uh, in the New Testament, well, let me back up. People use a lot of these words more modern according to tradition than they do biblically. Uh, One of the hopes of being a Christian and being a member of the Church of Christ is to do as they did then. You know, people, people sometimes... Now, believe it or not, I'm not a pastor. Did y'all know that? Did that kid say why? <laughs> it's because they haven't appointed me. Uh, but no, no seriously, I, I am more in the role of what Timothy is. I'm, I'm a, a minister or a deacon. Now, let me show you this. Uh, Go back to Acts chapter 20. And if you're taking notes, you you may want to jot some of these down. Acts chapter 20, let's look at just two verses. Verse 17 is the first one. Acts 20 verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Okay, if you're taking notes, make a note of this passage and write out beside it, elders. Okay, Greek word is presbyteros. We get our English word presbyterian from that. Okay, now in the same chapter, I want you to look at verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the same word from Timothy, translated bishop. But you can make another note. When he addresses them, the elders, he addresses them as the overseers or the bishops. And then he goes on to shepherd. That word shepherd, you can underline, that's the word pastor, literally. To pastor the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So the elders that were called for are the overseers and they do the pastoring. So when you read 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 about the overseers or the bishops, well, they're also called elders. They're also called pastors. Now, there are a couple more passages that we can look at. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We're going to see these same words used in 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. The elders who are among you, there's one word, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Here's the second one. Shepherd, 
pastor the flock of God, which is among you serving as overseers. There are those three words, all used interchangeably once more. So you have that from Acts 20. You have it from uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. One more, and then I'll leave you alone with it. First, uh, Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. I still hear the pages turning is why I'm delaying. It's not because I can't find it myself. I know my scripture pretty decently well. I didn't, boy, he sure is slow. Well, Titus 1.5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you. So there's the one. Look at verse 7. For a bishop or an overseer must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. So we just have the two used right here in Titus 1. So when, you know, we get people that call to the church, and I, and I love this because it gives me an out. You can always tell when someone calls and they're wanting to sell you something. Hi, is the pastor there? They're always happy and excited. And I just go, God bless you for doing that because I know I'm just one of who knows how many calls you've made. But on occasion, uh, I, I answer the phones because Jeannie's elsewhere or I'm just covering the phone. Is the pastor there? No. Can I take a message? Now, you know, what they're really meaning is, you know, the guy that stands up and preaches to everybody. Uh, But they ask it, and I go, no. But I can take a message for you. Is that wrong? I mean, y'all let me know. But I hate talking on the phone anyway, so... You know, it's, a, it's an easy app. But I had a lady call Friday, and I, w- I wound up on the phone with her for, I don't know, about 10, 15 minutes. Nice as could be. But anyway, I- I'm not a pastor. And some people, you know, well, every other tradition, well, that's fine. If they want to do that, that's their business. Uh, but scripturally speaking, this is, this is how it is. I'm a minister or a deacon. Uh, I'm not a pastor. And-, and it's always funny because some brethren who've grown up in the church say, hey, pastor, and I'm like, Okay, I'll just say this. I've been called a lot worse. So I tend not to dwell on it too much. But in case you wanted to know, I just wanted to make clear what the Scriptures teach and hopefully what we all adhere to. Let's read the ending of 1 Timothy 3. Verse 14, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Now, if you were to ever say, I don't know how to share the gospel with somebody, or how can I... This little passage, verse 16 is a pretty good way. That would be a great class to have, actually, to to flesh each of these out. God manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. That's, if you have it the way my Bible has it, it's, it's, it's a little indented, 
and centered, which means in the original, it's, it's a poem. It's a little poem. And so it would have been a quick way to, uh, to recall what is it that you believe. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. You know, when we didn't have the screens, Derek said, let's sing Jesus loves me. You know why? Because everybody knows it. Is that the trumpet of the Lord? Uh, Everybody knows that song because we have heard it ever since we were little ones. Well, the same thing with this here. All right, I'm going to ask you to go to one last passage, okay? Mark chapter 13. So you have the father who is the head of the house. You have the overseers who manage all the affairs related to the house. You have the servants. In chapter 2 last week, there was the address to the men and the women. And in, chap- in the later chapters of 1 Timothy, there's the mention of the widows and the elderly. So the various members of the household... Now, in Mark chapter 13, beginning verse 32, Jesus tells a parable, and the point of it is nobody knows. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeepers to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming sadly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. We don't know when the Lord's going to come. And we also don't know when we'll breathe our last. The sad thing is, it's not something we can schedule. It's not an appointment that we can cancel or put off. We just don't know. And so we're told to watch, to be ready. A mother was explaining to her her little girl at the death of her father. The mother said, God has sent for daddy and will send for us, but I don't know just when. And the little girl said, if we don't know just when God is going to send for us, do you not think we'd better pack up and get ready to go? God might send when we're not ready. If Jesus were to come back today, are you ready? I think if we knew, we'd all want to make ready. And what would that entail? Well, for us Christians, maybe we'd want to ask God to forgive us. We've not done as good as we should have. We could have done a lot better. We knew better, but we just didn't do better. 
Maybe there's some people we'd want to go and say, hey, we haven't talked in a long time because of X, Y, Z, and I just want to say I'm sorry and reconcile. Maybe if you knew when he was coming, you would say to your friends and to your children, hey, I'm ready. I want you to be ready too. If you're not a Christian that is a follower of Jesus, it's not hard to become one. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? If you believe that, are you willing to say it? And will you be buried with Jesus in the waters of baptism, reenacting His death, burial, and resurrection, being united with Him, and putting to death the old man and rising to walk in newness of life, having your sins forgiven? I know, that's a mouthload. But if Jesus were to come today, would you be ready? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you in prayer with thanksgiving. Some of us are so very fortunate and we don't even know it. Maybe you have delayed in taking some of us because we aren't ready. And if that is the case, for that we give you thanks. We confess to you that we have sinned in word, thought, and deed by what we've done and by what we've left undone. We haven't loved you with our whole heart. We haven't loved our neighbor as ourself. And for these trespasses, we pray for the sake of your Son, our Savior Jesus, that you would forgive us, cleanse us, make us whiter than snow, Quicken our resolve and will to live faithfully to you and to encourage others to do the same. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us not what we deserve, but what flows from the abundance of love that you have for all of us. Father, for those not ready, I pray they would become ready as much as a person can on this earth. This I ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you're not ready, come to the front and let's get ready as we stand and sing.